0: Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast with Steve Gordon. Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gordon. And in today's episode, we are talking again with Dory Clark. Dory is actually the first repeat guest we've had on the podcast. So uh, really excited to have her back. Uh, Dory is an adjunct professor at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business. She's the on- author of Entrepreneurial you reinventing you and stand out, uh, which was named a number one leadership book in 2015 by Inc. magazine, and uh, she's done all kinds of stuff. She's a former presidential campaign spokeswoman, a uh, a person in the New York Times has described as really the expert at self reinvention and helping others kind of reshape their their lives and careers, and uh, she's a contributor to Harvest Harvard Business Review. Uh, she's spoken at Google, Microsoft, the World Bank. Um and uh and and I gotta tell you, I'm really excited to have her back because I just finished reading. Uh we're recording this on a Monday. I I finished reading over the weekend her latest book, Entrepreneurial You, and it's outstanding. So we get a chance to talk about that today. Welcome back, Dory.
1: Hey Steve, thank you for having me.
0: So you've been busy. Um it's been what about nine or ten months since we spoke last, and you've had all kinds of things going on. You launched a course, you've uh you've released a new book. Um, Why don't you catch us up a little bit? And for those who didn't hear the first interview, give them a little bit of background on on how you got to this point in your career.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, I I started... I started my business 11 years ago, and the, the sort of short version of how I got to, to to where I am in the books that I write is that the minute that I launched my business, which was being a marketing strategy consultant, I, it, it's sort of like, you know, you like if you buy a Volkswagen, all you see are Volkswagens. I, I suddenly realized that everybody in the entire world was a marketing consultant, and this just made me panic terribly because I realized I had to differentiate myself in the market, and I had no idea how to do it. And so I went on this quest, which ultimately led to me writing three different books about essentially how people can do that. So the first one, Reinventing You, is about how to reinvent yourself into the place you want to be professionally. Stand Out is about how to become a recognized expert in your field, really uh, distinguish yourself and and get a premium positioning in the marketplace. And now my latest book, Entrepreneurial You, is about uh, kind of a culmination of all that, which is how to make money, how to hopefully. Make serious money from uh, from doing all this. So I interviewed fifty plus very successful entrepreneurs, you know, six, seven, eight figure entrepreneurs about real specifics on their business models, what they were doing, so that I could learn from them, and then hopefully share that information with other people as well.
0: Yeah, and it, it's interesting and in watch and kind of watching the journey through the three books because I've read them all, and and it's it's almost like the first two you were writing as you were kind of along the the path. And at at earlier stages, um, this book really feels like it's, it, it's really the the overview of and almost encompasses all three, but still with, a I think, a heavy focus on on how to monetize it all. But you talk about how to how to uh, promote yourself and how to kind of stand apart from the crowd a little bit, you talk about how to make that, that shift, um, out of whatever career you're in, into more of an entrepreneurial career in this one, which I thought you started to look at in in your first book. But this really brings it all together. And um, what what has kind of the the time that's gone on over the course of these three books, what has that done to sort of refine your picture of things?
1: Well, I, I think I think you're exactly right. I mean, I, I started my career years ago as a journalist, and so my impulse has always been that I write in order to learn. You know, if there's a topic that I am interested in or want to immerse myself in, my my answer is usually. Well, who can I talk to about this? Who's doing this, and how can I glean the information from them? And in fact, uh, that's a strategy that I talk about uh, in my book. Stand out, that, you know, these days, really successful people—I mean, probably a lot of your listeners can relate to this—you just get barraged with these these kind of seekers saying, you know, oh hey, can I take you out to coffee? Can I pick your brain? And after a while, it just gets overwhelming. You can't do it. You don't want to do it. Um, and so. The question is how do you how do you actually break through? How do you actually learn from the people who know how to do it best? And I realized writing a book is a pretty good way to do it because people aren't necessarily going to say, "Oh yeah, come interview me about, about, and ask Frying questions for an hour." Sure, why not? But if you say, "You know what? I'm writing I'm writing a book. I have this book contract. Would you like to be in it?" I, I, literally. I think every single person I asked said yes. So uh, it was a great way to, to kind of open up the windows into it. Um, but I, I really did use myself in many ways as the guinea pig in the book. I, uh, you know, I was already having a, a good, healthy six-figure income uh, prior to writing it. But, you know, I think like like all of us, you hear about friends and colleagues who are bringing in you know, millions of dollars. And I thought, well, what are they doing? That's that's amazing. Uh, so I figured I would interview them, and then as part of the journey of the book, I would write about how I applied the principles to my own life and business. And so uh, you alluded to me launching an online course, which I did in the last year. That was one of the, the drivers. I started doing some live events. And so these were all things that I played with and experimented with. And for me, the, the bottom line, you know, talking about does it work, um, I actually tested the principles out on myself. And in 2016, I was actually able to increase my income by $193,000 over what I had made the previous year just by using the techniques that I write about in the book. So I I felt really good about learning these things and, and hopefully sharing them with other people so we can magnify that impact.
0: You know, you've done something really interesting here, but it's not necessarily easy to translate. And I want to talk about that for a minute because it's it's one thing to go around and you know interview people who have been successful and look at what they've done and as, and by the time you've done that with 10 people for example you now have 10 different pictures of what success looks like and sometimes it's really hard to deconstruct that kind of reverse engineer the things that worked and then apply them to your own situation so you've done that obviously you've done that over the last year um, with the advice that you got. What, what's what been difficult? What did you find that maybe was easier than you thought it was? H- after going through that, what did you learn about the process?
1: Yeah, I think that what I was really searching for in terms of a kind of common denominator that really could translate to people was, you know, what are what are the foundational principles behind it? Because, of course, you know, sometimes people might might say, well, you know, Dory, um, you know, are these techniques really going to last? I mean, you know, are podcasts going to be a thing forever? And, you know, I have no idea. It's, it's possible some new technology is going to take over and render podcasts obsolete, although I strongly doubt it in the sense that that radio itself is kind of merging with podcasts and television certainly did not kill radio this is a technology that has persisted for years, but you know, any, any particular channel that you're using, I mean, the specifics may vary in the future, but there are, there are foundations that I think if someone is a strategic entrepreneur, they can apply to the present moment. So for instance, one, one of the things that I think is really critical, and and this is something I go into depth talking about with online courses, but I think it applies to almost anything is that probably the primary mistake that people make in launching entrepreneurial ventures or new products or services is that they just cook up something they think is cool and then they unleash it on the market and say, oh, here are people, here you go and and it fails and they're like well why did this fail this was a brilliant idea well it's you know it's kind of like well duh you thought it was a brilliant idea but apparently other people did not and so just going through the discipline and this is hard cuz you know and entrepreneurs are excitable people and you know we get kind of hopped up on our ideas but going through the disciplined process of saying okay I have this idea. This is not necessarily the greatest idea in the world. It is a hypothesis. Let me test the hypothesis. Let me survey my audience. Let me run a small pilot. Let me see if people actually are willing to pay for it first in in a small way. And then if they are, then I can double down on it and do more of that. By the time you go through that process, for almost anything that you do, you are going to weed out a very large percentage of the error margin because you're not just going in whole hog and hoping. You have been testing along the way so that you're you're not making huge unfounded bets. That will save you from a lot of problems down the road in any entrepreneurial pursuit that you do.
0: Yeah. And, you know, really hard to do that, though. I mean, you and, and you mentioned that, but. Um, i see all the time when you know as we talk with business owners this desire for certainty is so strong and um, and i don't think it exists i think i think everything is an experiment because uh, you know anytime we get out there and we think we're certain of something we it's really easy to get you know prov- proven wrong and uh, sent down a, a really rough path um, but it's very difficult to discipline yourself to want to do that Um, and, uh, so looking at, at what you've been able to take out of the research that you did, and then you implemented it, if you had to prioritize the, the different steps to take, I mean, you talk about building audience and a bunch of different ways to do that. You talk about how to roll out products and some, some approaches to do that. If you had to kind of lay those out in terms of a framework, where would somebody start? Do you think?
1: well broadly speaking if we get, if we get kept, kind of zoom back to the highest level ultimately there's there's a few steps along the way the first one is actually way before you get to any product or service it's about building trust with your audience because they are not i mean okay if if your business is that uh, let's say you're you know you're you're selling a commodity on amazon or something like that uh, it's it's less about necessarily trust with you, but still, even so, people are looking for reviews, right? They're, or on eBay. They, they want to know that you're not going to just take their money and run away. That is a form of, of trust building. And especially if you are running the kind of business that is related to something that is either expensive or requires a kind of bespoke element to it, they want to know that you are a reputable person. And that is a process that, that really takes some time to develop. And, and you do that in two ways. One Is I am a big fan – this is a drum that I beat in my other books as well – of content creation because that is the very best way in terms of the the invisible work that we do in the service economy to make it manifest. It is very, very hard for for non-insiders to know that you are good at marketing or that you are good at legal services or whatever your thing is. Uh, because they they just they don't know how to evaluate that properly, and so the only way that they can do it, short of you know talking to someone that you have worked with previously, I mean you know testimonials, referrals, that's all great, but if they want to investigate it for themselves, the very best thing that they can do is is. Read or somehow consume content that you have created, so they can get a feel for who you are and how you think. That's probably a large part of why you do this podcast, or why people write books, or, or do blogging, or make videos. It's so people can really take it in and say, "Oh, I like this Steve guy. He makes sense. You know, we, we kind of, you know, jibe together. He seems rational. Okay, I, this is a person I can do business with." So the trust building process, I think, is huge. The second piece that kind of goes hand in glove with that. Is going deep on your art, meaning, for instance, uh, a lot of the the push on online marketing, things like that, is you know where where it kind of gets tarred and where good responsible business people get a little skittish sometimes. Is there are so many like kind of online charlatans that are very visible and it's like oh you know make ten thousand dollars in a day, blah blah blah, you know do it overnight, and really the the truth is you can't just immediately go to that. you need to understand your customers deeply and oftentimes that involves a very detailed process before you even start leveraging it in a big way of doing uh, kind of elbow to elbow work, coaching, consulting or at least very deep, focus groups so that you understand the language they use. You understand the problems people are really having so that you know what they need and you know how you can help them. It's only then that you can begin to to really fully leverage it with the power of the internet and be sure that you're actually offering people something that they want.
0: Yeah, it's a, a, a huge mistake that that we see folks make. And a lot of times we're working with a professional who is, I mean, the number one problem our clients have is, is they're, they're just not seeing enough people. They're not, you know, we boil it down to lead generation, but they would describe it as, we just don't see enough people. And they they look for all of these different ways that are, you know, popular now to go and do that on the internet. But the problem with that is most of the time you're communicating with strangers. And the vast majority of, of businesses in the world don't need 10,000 customers to be successful. You need 10, you know, for a lot of people who are going to read your book and and go out and start an entrepreneurial venture, if they could get that critical five or 10 or 15 new clients, they'd be off and running. But they they look at, at at the methods that are taught, and and those methods are really great if you're going after thousands. There's nothing wrong with going after the thousands, but to get going, you really need to get the ten right away. So there's probably ten people around you that trust you, that you already have a relationship with, that you can go to, and you talk about this in the book, like focus on the resources that you've got, the the relationships that you've got, and see how you can go and and make those things pay right now to to make this whole thing sustainable those other leverage efforts they come in later they're important but uh i I think to your point they're they're much more difficult to to make work if you haven't done that sort of close-in homework and really got gone deep with the people you're trying to serve
1: yeah i think that's a a really important point steve and uh, you know tying tying in with that I think that sometimes professionals hesitate to even embark upon content creation because they say, oh, well, you know, this is like pathetic. You know, I put something on LinkedIn and it got a hundred uh, likes. You know, I need like a thousand. I need 10,000. I need a hundred thousand. Why, you know, why am I bothering? And so they get discouraged and they give up. But th- you're exactly right. If you are, se- sure, if you're selling a $2 Fidget spinner or something like that. Then yes, you need thousands of people. You need a mass audience. But if if you are selling a a high ticket item, a high margin uh, product or service that is very trust based, it, it doesn't matter if a hundred people read it. If they are the right hundred people, that that blog post could get you a fifty thousand dollar contract. And the way that people need to think about this early on is, uh, you know. Yes, it is great, and it is the cherry on top if it can get you – uh, new, new eyeballs that, you know, go for that for sure. But what it is even better for early on is closing the sale better and faster. If you can create content that shows that you're an authority and if you've got somebody that's maybe a possible interested prospect and you say, oh, you know, that's so funny that you mentioned that I just wrote a piece about that. Let me send it to you. They read that they say, oh, wow, Steve's already been thinking about this. Steve already has these great solutions that seem perfect for me obviously I should choose Steve. It just, it makes everything worthwhile.
0: Yeah. You just said something really, really important and it's not talked about much, but when creating content, if you build it from the close of the sale out, it almost always works better because you've already got people who are warm around you. And if you can feed them with that content, I, I always describe it as, you know if you, if you remember Billy Mays, the guy who wore the blue shirt and would demonstrate things on late night TV, right, sell products, they had rules about what they would take on as a product. And the number one rule was you had to be able to demonstrate it visually in that commercial. And if you think about that principle, it's really, really important. But for those of us in service businesses, it's almost impossible to do that. You know, I think about the, we had a, an air conditioning problem, which in Florida, you know, a couple of months ago in August, really bad thing. And we were looking around for an air conditioning company. And I mean, to connect all of this stuff, like we ended up going with the one that had some content on their website that kind of addressed the problem that we were having, because they were able to demonstrate to us that they thought through that issue. We instantly trusted them more. And, um, it's not that the other companies weren't good companies. They're probably great companies, but I mean, some of them didn't have websites. Some of them, you know, you, even if, if they did, you know, really didn't look all that well thought through, but here's, here's this one that really stood out because of that. And if, I think if you can do that in a, you know, in a service as I don't want to say mundane, cause there might be somebody in that business listening. Cause it's not really that, but it, you know, as sort of every day as fixing an air conditioner. If it works there, it's going to work pretty much anywhere, I think. And and the the goal if as you're thinking about doing this is is really just how do I demonstrate everything that I know? And that's scary for people. The big pushback we get, I don't know if you hear this, but the big pushback we get is well if we tell them how to do it, they're not going to want to do it. You ever yeah, because
1: they're because yeah. they're just gonna read that article and fix that air conditioner themselves.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah.
1: I mean, I actually think that's a great example because you know what? You could literally write an article about like, hey kids, here's how to fix your air conditioner. And I guarantee you, if Steve is sitting there in the middle of Florida in August with a broken air conditioner, he he could read that article and do it. He is not going to do that. I mean, okay, maybe you have this like outlier that could not afford to pay someone to do it and so they're like oh great I'm going to do this myself because I literally have no choice but anyone with discretionary income who you know let's be honest that is, that is your target You're, you, you only want to sell to people who actually have money to buy anyone who has that choice is not going to want to fix their own air conditioner they are going to want to hire you once, the, once you have proven that you can do it to do it for them the same is absolutely absolutely true, whether it is legal services, whether it's chiropractic. Oh, yeah, I can I can crack my own back. No, that sounds horrible. You want a professional to be doing that. And I I think that applies for everything. Give the information away. All it does is prove your competence and the right buyer, the non, uh, you know, cheapskate buyer is going to say, great. Now that I've seen that Steve can do it I'll just let Steve do
0: it. Yeah. And I, I think it's a, a mindset. Uh, we call them the do-it-yourselfers. And, and our advice to clients is not to worry about them. The do-it-yourselfers are never going to be what, what I'd call an ideal client. They're probably never going to be a client. Let them take it and do it because e- even if you give them the information and they go and do it and, yeah, you don't make any money on that, you're going to create goodwill in the marketplace, if nothing else. And they may talk about you and they may refer someone else to that piece of content who isn't a do-it-yourselfer, who maybe has a little more common sense than that and, and is going to pay an expert. Um, and so there, there's really no downside in it, but it gives you this great advantage of being able to demonstrate what it is that you do and what what you know in a way that, uh, that honestly, when I started out, um, I'm probably a little older than you are, Dory. I'm 46, I started in business in 1994. We didn't have the internet in my company when I went there. It took like a year to get it. And the the idea of publishing information, the, the way that we're talking about right now and doing it, you know, like, oh, oh we just make content. That wasn't a, it wasn't possible at the time. I mean, you could write things, but nobody would ever see them unless you were going to stick them in an envelope and put a stamp on it and mail it out because yeah there were publications but you had to get in the publications because there were few it was competitive um the outlets just weren't there for you to do this kind of demonstration but now uh very easy for you to to you know anoint yourself and go and do it
1: yeah absolutely and yeah i mean i'm 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 with you i remember uh in 1994, uh, I I did not yet have the internet either, and a friend told me she was like way ahead of the curve. She told me that she had this new job and she was designing web pages, and I was so confused. I kept asking her, "But where are they? Where can <laughs> I find them? I don't understand." And uh, and finally, she printed them out and like mailed, mailed me printouts of the webpage so that I could see what, what she was doing. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it was, it was an entirely different world. Now it's like, oh my gosh, there's no excuse. You don't even have to have your, your own blog. I mean, it's so, it's so easy of course to have a blog. You can set something up on WordPress and for $13 a year, you can have it routed to your website so that you can host the blog on your website. But even if you don't want to do that, you could blog on LinkedIn, let's say, and just have that, you know, come up right by your profile um super super easy. Anyone who can do word processing can do that
0: yeah, absolutely and um and just so many advantages to it and, and it does allow people to build trust in a way that that uh, you just weren't able to do before that um and so definitely you know I, I think we we both agree it's it's almost like a must do for uh for businesses these days. Um, you talk in the book about, uh, making this shift to monetize. And I, it's funny when I got to that part, I kind of chuckle a little bit because th- to me, that's like a whole like new development in business where people were reluctant to sell stuff. And, um, and I'd love to talk with you a little bit about that because you spent a little bit of time on it. Um, and I have I've got an opinion which I'll be happy to to share, but I'd love to love to get your take on this whole idea of of uh, monetization being a scary thing.
1: Yeah, it's you know it's it's interesting. I, I think that uh, because so much more of the world is becoming entrepreneurial, either. Either, but you know, uh, voluntarily or involuntarily. I mean, you know, we've we've all heard the uh, the studies. I mean, right right now, thirty five percent of the American workforce is freelancer or contractor. It's going to be forty percent within a few years. I mean, it's 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 this emerging trend that is not going away. Um, that. Is relatively new in the past twenty years, and so I think the people who were entrepreneurs twenty years ago probably were a little bit more of the you know hell yeah I'm gonna get out there and sell yeah this you know just just like these kind of uh, slightly different personality types and you know for for me for instance I I you know I love entrepreneurship I'm like totally all in it now but I originally was probably not gonna do this like this this was not my initial chosen path i was a reporter and i got laid off and i was like oh well i thought i was gonna be a reporter you know and and it just it just really didn't happen and, and i had some other jobs after that but you know they kept i was on political campaigns they all kept losing you know <laughs> so you have to sort of become entrepreneurial anyway um so i think that entrepreneurship has kind of opened up to a, a lot more people that maybe um would have been corporate employees in the past and, and may in fact have been brought up with attitudes like, like I was, I mean, I remember my mother, she would talk about salespeople and she would never say like, Oh, blah, blah, blah. The salesperson. She'd say the, the sales person <laughs> just drag it. I was like this, this all oh, this like t- terrible object of, of contempt. I mean, even when I was supposed to be going around and like, you know, selling stupid cookies or whatever as like a fundraiser for my school. She was always like, I can't believe they're making you sell. It was this terrible, stigmatized thing. And I think a lot of us have that baggage. And we if we're going to be successful, have to learn to get over it to realize that sales is a normal and natural and good thing. It is what makes the world of business go around. And we can't pussyfoot around it. Um, Otherwise, we are going to be Doomed, uh, but I think that some people just assume it means you have to sell your soul, and I really want to push back against it because, of course, clearly you don't. Um, People, you know, of course, there's the saying, you know, people people don't like to be sold to, but they like to buy. And I think if we can if we can make it so that people understand that selling can be a pretty chill thing. That selling, you know, if you if you really do it right, if you do your marketing right, it's kind of like, hmm, let's make myself available so that people can buy from me. Then it becomes actually pretty cool. what is your theory, Steve? I would like to know.
0: Well, first of all, I, you have to sell something because you got to eat and your kids got to eat and you know, you got a family, you got, and you have most of the, most businesses have employees or contractors and all of that. And, um, and I've had, you know, close to 50 employees and I, you know, now we're pretty lean, but I always felt a really strong responsibility that, you know, part of what my job was to, was to, make sure that the conditions were there for, for those people to be successful in their lives. So that can't happen unless you sell something and, and make money. Uh, that's just a, a factor of life. But really, I think where um, where all of that kind of breaks down, where people get that queasiness about selling, it's when they're selling to somebody who isn't interested.
1: Yeah.
0: And, you know, so much time and energy and effort has been spent. And in the past, you know, maybe in, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it was a lot more difficult to actually get in front of somebody who, you know, who was pre interested. I don't know, maybe not. But uh, I think now you've got with all the tools we just talked about to put content out there and attract to you the people who are interested in what you're selling. There's really no reason for it to have that stigma anymore, because all you're doing at that point is taking somebody who has been educated and motivated and now they want a solution. And all you got to do is now fulfill that solution for them. The selling part should be easy. And uh, and, and that's assuming you've done everything leading up to that. Um, and I guess I, I come from that approach because I since since the mid 90s, I've been doing content marketing. We didn't call it that, but we used to go give speeches and use that to educate people and demonstrate what we knew. And, um, and sure enough, we'd have a line of, of people who wanted to do business with us after doing that because we were able to build trust and do all the things that we've talked about, um, which is why I don't think any of that's going away. I just think the tools for doing it have gotten dramatically better and uh, easier and less costly for you to, to, uh, to get into. Um, but I think you've got an obligation to sell. People need what you're doing. If you're watching this, you're obviously you've created some solution for somebody that has some usefulness, right? You've been in business for a little while. You got to sell it to them and uh, it's good for them and it's good for you. So, uh, that's my feeling on selling.
1: Yeah. Amen. I'm with you.
0: So, um, I know that, that, uh, folks have been listening. I highly recommend for those who have, uh, listen to all this, you go get the book, um, no matter what stage you're at in your journey, because, um, the way Dory has broken down the, the different parts of this process, I guarantee you, you're going to get something out of it. I took margin notes as I was going through and i I've got to go back now and, and, uh, and, and implement a few things that I picked up in there. Um, so, you know, no matter where you are, this is going to be a useful book. Uh, Dory, where, where's the best place for them to get started?
1: Yeah. Thanks so much, Steve. Um, one thing that I'll actually suggest for folks that are that are interested in building out new revenue streams in your business, especially if you uh, run a service-based business and are looking for ways to, to think about tapping into more passive income streams, um, but really just getting a sense of the, the smorgasbord of options for bringing in new revenues through uh, expanding your business models a little bit um there i do have a free resource it is the entrepreneurial use self-assessment workbook and folks can get that for free at DoryClark.com. that's d-o-r-i-e-c-l-a-r-k.com slash entrepreneur
0: great we'll make sure we link that up in the show notes and i assume they can get the the book at amazon and and barnes and noble and all those usual places
1: Absolutely. The book is, uh, is Entrepreneurial You out from Harvard Business Review Press, and it, and it is available. All, all those good places.
0: Awesome. We'll link to that as well. Dory, great to have you back on again. And uh, thanks for investing a little time with us today.
1: Steve, thank you so much. Always a pleasure to talk to you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Unstoppable CEO podcast. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating on iTunes at unstoppableceo.net forward slash iTunes.